Good morning, church. Hey, we're grateful to have you this morning. And uh, if you have been joining us for any amount of time online, we have been jumping into the book of Hosea. And uh, as we uh, gather this morning, we're going to pick up in Hosea chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, encourage you uh, to turn to Hosea. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to provide a handful of things on the screen uh, for you. But certainly encourage you to be thinking about bringing your Bible uh, here in future weeks. And so if you don't mind, before we jump in, um, would love to pray for us and uh, just ask God to kind of begin to uh, meet us where we are. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and remind us of your goodness and your kindness and your benevolence towards us. Father, I pray that you would, um, Lord, open up our hearts to see your truth. Just as you uh, used Paul the right to the church in Ephesus, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Lord, that we would be open to your truth, that we would hear it and that we would respond accordingly. Lord, I pray that just as we read in James chapter one, uh, that we wouldn't be merely hears the word and so deceive ourselves, but God, that you would help us to do what it says. Lord, probably the most difficult thing for the life of a believer in this room and across the world is to actually uh, use the wisdom that we have from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we are grateful to have you. Real quickly, as we get going, I want to welcome uh, those that are joining us on our Edgewood campus for the very first time in a brand new building that we opened today. And so, Will's Point, let's give them a shout out. We are uh, excited uh, about that, and just as we uh, begin to celebrate that with them, uh, a lot of people go, well, hey, why aren't you over there? And here's why I would say that. As number one, they have a fantastic campus pastor in Dick Patterson. They don't need me. Uh, number two is uh, it's a building. It is just a building. It is, we're not having a grand opening because God's not more there than he is here. Uh, he lives in us, and it doesn't matter where we're at. And so maybe we're in our homes. We should celebrate that as well. Wherever the Lord has us is where we are. And so we celebrate a great resource and a provision in 100-degree heat uh, in Texas that God gave us a building with air condition. And so we praise God for that. Uh, we praise God for a lot of those different things as we do here. But friends, we are just gathering gathering in buildings today. And so we know that the Lord lives in his people. His spirit indwells the life of the believer, Acts 17. And so we are so thankful for his presence in our lives. And uh, today we pray that he illumines our hearts to his word. Now, let me catch you up because maybe you're here and you haven't been hanging out with us through the book of Hosea. If you haven't, I encourage you that it's not too late. Number one, we have a ton of resources on our website at stonepointchurch.com forward slash Hosea. We actually have every single chapter outlined by our staff, devotionals there that you could pick up this week and begin reading. Uh, you can actually go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash stonepointnews. You can actually sign up and they'll come to your email box on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday where you can just kind of uh, hang out with us. So a lot of people have been reading those and hanging out with us. And so as we dive into chapter eight, we're just really, uh, in a sense, finalizing what many of us have already learned throughout this week of reading the scriptures and some devotionals online ourselves. And so if you've missed that, that's okay. I uh, would certainly encourage you to pick up on it, but I want to catch you up real quickly on what's happening. There's a guy named Hosea that is a prophet of God, and Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel. A couple of hundred years earlier, the Israel 
Israelite uh, nation had divided into northern and southern kingdom, 10 tribes to the north, two to the south. And there's a guy um, who... Um, his name was Jeroboam. That was a big part of the northern heritage. He was a king. His brother Rehoboam was the king of the south. And uh, Jeroboam set them on a path that would not be wise. As a matter of fact, uh, we know according to 2 Kings that he did not listen to the wise men of old, but instead he imparted the truth of his younger uh, friends that lacked wisdom, and he did what they thought they should do. And so he became a very harsh ruler. He began uh, to be a very paranoid ruler, and so he decided that instead of honoring the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who brought the nation out of nothingness, uh, he decided he would make his own um, altars, his own shrines. And so he would instruct the people to make two golden calves. He set one in the north and one in the south, one in Dan to the north, one to Bethel in the south. And he said, hey, we're going to worship them. He set up a new priesthood, uh, new heritage, new temples, new sacrificial system, all these different things. He appointed new leaders, new kings, uh, new uh, satraps and officials throughout the land. He just said, I'm going to do what I think is right. And guess what? The nation would lead itself to despair. Matter of fact, what Hosea would say to the, uh, to the people of Israel, he said, it will be like a whirlwind. You're going to reap destruction and despair. Matter of fact, in Hosea chapter 8, that's what this prophet is saying. Uh, he says this, beginning in verse 7, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. What he's writing to this people of Israel, this nation, he goes, listen, even if, even if it was to work out well and you were to begin to see some fruitfulness from your actions, he goes, it's not going to produce anything. And what he's simply helping them realize is that you have been chasing after the wind. Now, listen, I don't know about you. If you understand what he's talking about, it's very similar to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 14. He goes, everything, or in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he talks about everything is vanity. And in verse 14, he says, it's like striving or chasing after the wind. I don't know if your life has ever felt like you've been chasing after the wind, but it's very difficult to catch. For the reason that you actually swipe out to catch it, it's changed directions. And you, it's just, in a sense, vanity. And he goes, that's what the nation has become. They have decided to do their own thing, what's right in their own eyes, and they have begun to, in a sense, sow for themselves destruction. And so real quickly, number one principle that's true for the nation of Israel in that day and is also true for us is that we will always reap what we sow, always. You and I have a choice as to what it is we're going to reap. Paul says it this way to the church of Galatia, and he says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, he will in his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What he's saying is, he goes, there's a simple principle in life. And Paul is saying it. Uh, Jose is also saying, he goes, when you reap something, you sow as a benefactor of that something. For instance, if you sow corn, you, you what? You reap corn. Uh, you got that? Pretty simple. Okay, we're in East Texas. A lot of us don't do farming. And so uh, let's, let's try it again, okay? You, you, you uh, sow green beans, you reap green beans. You sow cantaloupe, you get cantaloupe, okay? Now listen, only if you're an evolutionist would you think you sow a cantaloupe and get corn. Okay, but if, if you're not an evolutionist, you believe that there's a God out there, then what you sow is what you reap. 
And what he's simply saying is this. He goes, when you sow something, you always reap that something. What's interesting about that something as well is when you reap something, you always get, after a long period of time, the benefactor of that something. So if you sow one seed of corn, you get a fold of corn that is usually three, six, or 10 times that. I mean, think about one seed being sown in corn and getting an entire head of corn. Think about a a, a cucumber plant. You sow one seed and you get multiple cucumbers. That's what he's talking about. But he goes, now think about this. You have a choice as to what you sow. You can sow your flesh, meaning you can do what's right in your own eyes, and you can get an entire... uh, harvest of corruption and deceit and despair. That's your choice. Or you can sow in the spirit and you get what the spirit is a benefactor of. And that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what Paul wrote to the Galatians, Galatians just one chapter earlier than this. And so he goes, that's what you and I have a choice to do. We can sow destruction and death, or we can sow life and peace and joy. And you and I have a choice. We get a choice as to what we're going to sow. What's interesting is, is that Hosea actually says a couple of chapters later what the nation of Israel was choosing to sow. Uh, In chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, this is what he said about the nation of Israel. He says, you could have sowed for yourselves righteousness and you could have reaped steadfast love. He goes, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. But you have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. And because of this, you've trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your own warriors. So here's, pay attention real quick. He goes, what you could have done is you could have sowed God's righteousness. And in righteousness and in peace and in hope and in joy and in faithfulness, you could have sought the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you would have gotten God's steadfast love, his protection, his provision, his faithfulness, and you wouldn't have had to seek after anything else. But instead, you decided that you were going to reap injustice because you sowed iniquity. He goes, you chose the sinful, rebellious way that leads to death. And because of that, your nation is in despair. You might ask yourself, well, how did that happen? Like, when did that actually happen? And I would say it happened when Jeroboam was the king. But after that, every king in the Bible that you read about in 2 Kings, this is what they would say. And they were evil in the sight of the Lord, and they did what Jeroboam had done. See, Jeroboam had set them on a path and a lineage of evil, rebellious living in which they squandered the principles of God. And because of that, they, did, they began to reap destruction and despair. In 2 Kings chapter 17, if you need a little extra reading, you can go back and read this this week. I'm not going to read it to you, but I want to just tell you a handful of things that are happening as a result of of their choices. In 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 7, it says the Israelites chose to sin against the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt. In verse 8, it says they followed the practice of foreign nations. Verse 9, it says they set themselves up pillars in high places. Verse 10, it says they set up sacred stones. They even built Asherah poles on every hill and in every and under every tree. In verse 12, it says they worshiped many idols, even though the Lord said you should not do this. In verse 14, it says they became stiff-necked as their ancestors were. In verse 15, it says they rejected God's decrees. They followed worthless idols, and they themselves became worthless. You want to be worthless? Chase the wind. 
reap the wrong things because you sow the wrong things. Verse 16 says they forsook the, the commands of the Lord. They cast idols of gold. They bowed down to starry hosts. They worshiped Baal. Verse 17, it says they even sacrificed their own kids at the altar. Under Ahaz, they burned their own children. Verse 18, it says so the Lord was angry with them and he removed Israel from his presence. That's what you get when you reap your flesh and your corruption and your despair. You get... What you, what in a sense, you sow. And so what is it that you are sowing? And let me ask you this simple question before we continue on in Hosea chapter 8. Friends, what would you be known for in this day and age? Like if people were to just kind of look over the span of the last handful of months. It's been four months almost to the date since we've gathered corporately, which is crazy. But in that time, what would people say about you? I mean, what would they say about how you've handled things, the opinions you've sought, the opinions you've shared, the things that you've said, whether in public or in, on social media or Facebook? Like, If people were to look at you, would they say, wow, this person exhibits life and there's fruitfulness and there's righteousness? Or would they look at you and they say, wow, this person is hateful and, and they're mean. And, and even though they, they quote scriptures, there's some, some sort of darkness and some sort of corruption. And in some ways, some legalism that's kind of confusing. What would they say about you? Because the reality is, is what's happening in the church in America is very unique. We've, not, we've never seen it in our history probably um, is not only new times and challenging times, but I think this, these perilous times are showing us something about righteousness and fruitfulness that we've never seen before. And in a lot of ways, you could say this separating the contenders from the pretenders. The scriptures would say it this way, it's the, the goats and the sheep, it's the wheat and the chaff. What we're seeing is the response of those who dwell in righteousness. And that's what we're after. In difficult times, when you're squeezed, what comes out? Is it death or is it life? Is it righteousness and peace or is it corruption that leads to death? And it's our choice, isn't it? The nation of Israel chose destruction, death, despair, to do what's right in their own eyes. And it did not work out for them. Matter of fact, here's what Hosea says. As a result of their sowing the wrong things, they would reap, verse 8, death. They would be swallowed up. That was one of their consequences. They would become a useless vessel is what Hosea says. They would be a broken jar that would hold no liquid. They, they were useless. They were in despair. Verse 9 says they even went up to Assyria. They were like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Now you might ask yourself, well, why is he even comparing them to a wild donkey? And, and here's kind of the east exit way is because you know what a donkey can be. And that's what they were. Um, they, they were donkeys, but not only they were they wild donkey, donkeys, they were donkeys in heat. Now listen, donkeys can already be a challenge. Matter of fact, if you need a donkey, you can go to the sale and get one for like $15 because nobody really wants them. They're wild. They're already rebellious. But can you imagine one who's after a lover? Even crazier. That's Israel. And isn't it crazy how God spells that out? He goes, they're not only wild and rebellious, but they're after a lover. They're after other things. They're, they're going after other nations, and those nations are not ever going to fill the void. Friends, I don't know what it is you're chasing. I don't know what it is that oftentimes we chase. But the question is, is are we like a wild donkey wandering alone? 
Now, you might say, well, I'm a Christian and God's with me. The question is not, are you a Christian and is God with you? The question is, is are you sowing seeds of righteousness? Or are you returning uh, the steadfast love of the Lord in all areas of your life? Are you producing life and fruit and righteousness? Or are you seeking after something else? What is it that you love? And that's what he's saying about Israel. Matter of fact, in verse 10, it says they would even go to the point where they would hire allies among the nations. And he goes, I'm going to soon gather them and the kings and the princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. He goes, listen, I'm going to give them over. And that's exactly what he would do to the nation of Israel. He goes, I was going to protect you. I was going to bless you. But now because of, of your chasing after vanity and after the wind, striving after nothingness, being wild and rebellious and squandering all the promises of God, he goes, I'm going to give you to those nations. I'm going to give you exactly what your heart desires. And he goes, and I'm going to boot you out of the land. And I'm going to use evil, corrupt people called the Assyrians to make it happen. Can God use evil to judge and purify his people? Think about this real quickly. Can a holy God use evil to judge people of his own accord? And the answer is absolutely he can. Because he's righteous and he's steadfast and he's loyal and he's all-knowing. And listen, that's what would happen Church, let me ask you a question. Can God use prayerless times in our nation to refine the church? I pray he does. I pray he does. I pray he uses this. Why? Because in perilous times, when we get squeezed, it shows what we trust in. And the question is, what do you put your trust in? Are you putting your trust in princes, in princesses, in your wife, in your kids? Are you putting it in your government? Lord, I hope not. Why? Because we should put our trust in the Lord. That's what he encouraged Israel to do. He goes, you don't want to find your hope in Assyria or in Egypt. You don't want to find your hope in foreign kings or in foreign women or in their gods that don't answer. You don't want to make yourself carved Asherah poles because they're not going to respond. You don't need to pray to a golden calf or put meat on an altar because it doesn't matter if God's not in it. Put your trust in the Lord. Reminds me of Psalm 20, verse 7, simply says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Friends, who do you put your trust in? I'm not talking about what you say with your mouth. I'm saying what you do with your life. Who is it that you're putting your trust in? Where is it that you find yourself being drawn to? What is it that you find yourself saying and doing? Because listen, I'll tell you, one of the most discouraging things for me over the past four months is to see what some of the people of God have done with this time. Some of the things that we've responded to or even put out on social media platforms, some of the things that we have done are in some ways, in some, it's discouraging for a pastor. Why? Because you think, man, I thought we've done better than that. I thought we've instructed people more wisely than that. And listen, here's what I would know. A friend of mine said once is that, Brandon, you can't have some unexpressed thoughts. Do you think that you could have unexpressed thoughts? Yes, you can, believe it or not. And we should. We should be wise. Why? Because if we're putting our trust in the Lord, it means that we don't have to worry about some of the things we're worrying about. Verse 11 goes on and he says, because Ephraim has multiplied its altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. And what he's saying is, he goes, even the altars that they have set up for the Lord, he goes, all they are are altars for sinning. So the crazy thing is, it would be like us gathering in this location today and everything that we do today would be vanity if our hearts aren't trusting the Lord. So it doesn't matter how many songs we sing. doesn't matter that we have a guy stand up and step on our toes if that's what you're after. Um, it doesn't matter about any of those things if our hearts are not in a prostate position before the Lord. 
that, that the American church and maybe some of the things that we've been worshiping for years, a lot of those things are, are things that really don't matter. And then if they are all stripped away and the music fades and the lights go away, the question is, is what have you put your trust in? That if the famous pastor that you love, that he had a moral failure and you now are, are saddened by that, do you leave the faith because of this one person? What do you put your trust in? And in the American church, I'll tell you, I think we put our trust in a lot of the wrong things. Whether it be popularity and opinions, whether it be uh, high uh, priority pastors, whether it be large megachurch pastor, ch- pastors or their churches, if it be their resources. Listen, can I just tell you that one of the greatest things that I think is happening in the American church is that small congregations are realizing that with a little bit of work, they can contribute to their church in the way that a megachurch does. Why? Because for so long, we've been used to ripping off and canning everything else that the megachurch does that we forget that the Lord's actually equipped us to do something within our own churches. And so friends, listen, we are not to, to multiply more altars for sinning. We are to be God's people. Verse 12, he goes, were I to write for him more laws by the 10,000s, they would regard it as a strange thing. What he's saying he is, it doesn't matter what I gave them. I gave them the law. But he goes, even they look at it, they read it, they memorize it, they recite it, they tell it to their, their, their children, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I could give them more laws and they would look at each other with despair in their faces. They wouldn't listen, they wouldn't heed my advice. Matter of fact, Psalm 106 simply says that the people did not do as the Lord commanded them in verse 34, but instead, verse 35, say they mixed themselves with other nations and they learned to do as they did. Listen, is that kind of challenging when the people of God learn to do what the culture does? That was the nation of Israel. They were learning to do what every other pagan nation around them did. And God goes, I give up. I can't take it anymore. And you might go, well, has God been patient? Listen, this is how much patience God had until he got to the prophet of Hosea. Thousands of years of patience. Hundreds of years of immorality. And finally he goes, okay, you don't want the things I want. You don't want a shepherd. Then I'll give you over to somebody that will shepherd your aimless souls and you will not be pleased by it. Because aimless souls don't want accountability and they don't want shepherds. And he goes, and I'll give you over to it. And he goes, it doesn't matter what I write to you, you don't regard it. Verse 13 says, and as for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and they eat it. And there's an emphasis there on the meat and they eat it. Meaning all they do is they bring meat to the altars. And he goes, and it doesn't matter that they bring meat because all it is is meat. There's not a, there's not a, a heart of, of worship. There's not a prayerfulness about themselves. There's not a, a regard for the things of God. Matter of fact, it's just meat. And because of routine and because of what they do, they just, they just go to church. And there's a lot of us that were like, man, I've been disconnected for a month. I just need church. Why? So that you can bring your meat to the altar? And that's what Israel is simply going, they're bringing their, their meat over and over and over again. And the Lord's going, like, I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't want those things. I, I'm not looking for that. It's, you need to return to your iniquity because he's going to punish their sins and they shall return to Egypt. He goes, listen, it doesn't matter what we do on the outside. The Lord is interested on what's happening on the inside. And friends, we can't fake it, can we? And that's what the Lord is desiring. He goes, look, I don't want you to fake it. I want all of you. I want all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
I want you to love your God fully. And I want people to know that because of the abiding God, love of God in your life, that you love others the way that I first loved you. Jesus says that about us, right? You'll know that they're my disciples by the way they love one another. Listen, is there ever a time in the nation of the United States that people ought to learn to love one another? I don't know about you. This is a chance for us to love one another. You know what's crazy? Is that so much of the hate speech and so many of the things that you see on multiple threads are coming from people of God. And listen, I think we've got to be careful about the times that we live in and the things we do and say because it really does matter. And so I'll tell you this. If we're not careful, we will become a nation full of people um, that, that, that go, and, and on a Sunday morning, we do our thing. Um, it kind of sets us up to, for the week, right? Because we at least know that Monday's happening tomorrow. And, and then we just kind of do our thing. And, and we're, we're in some ways just continuing to keep the altar open, but it's empty, and it's vain, and it's useless. That's what Israel was, and if that's not careful, that's what the American church can be. But I can tell you this, God does not con- desire that you and I would continue to sin that grace would increase. You know what I'm talking about there? I can give you an example. I was probably 16 or 17. um, Just realized that immorality actually did taste a little bit fun at first. And when immorality tasted fun at first, before the consequences really set in, um, you know what happened? Um, I would find myself dabbling in sin. And I remember getting to a place in my Christian faith of going, God loves me. I can dabble a little. And because he's so loving and forgiving that it's okay. And, and we know from Romans 6.1, we don't continue to sin that grace would increase. Listen, that's where Israel was. Israel believed because they were the elect people of God, they could do whatever they wanted and that God's blessings would never be removed. But that's not how God set it up. Matter of fact, God clearly set it up in a different way. And so as you get to verse 14, here's what you need to know. Hosea, uh, sharing the words of God, God says, God has... It's bringing punishment. Why? Because Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall devour her strongholds. Here's what God said. I've had enough and I'm not going to allow you to keep doing the things you've habitually done for hundreds of years. It's over. It's coming to an end. And guess what? It would. Within just a a couple of decades, you're going to begin to see the words of Hosea not only penned, but vocalized come true. You're going to see the nation of Assyria come and bring about destruction upon the northern kingdom. And God said, the reason it happened is because you chased after foreign things. You did things that did not honor the Lord. You didn't worship the Lord, and you did things that were destructive. And he says, and because of that, you've sowed the wrong things, and you're reaping the destruction. Now, you might ask yourself, okay, why does it matter? And I haven't been following along with Hosea, and so I'm, I'm like a little bit confused because I'm not even sure what all this means. And, and here's, let me just sum it up for you this way, okay? The people of Israel were God's elect people. What that means is, is there was a point in time at the very beginning point of the nation of Israel in Genesis chapter 11 and 12, you're going to see God's going to go to this man named Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he goes, Abraham, I want to follow me. Abraham hears the voice of God and he says, I'll follow you. And as hesitant as he might have been, him and his wife, Sarah, packed up all their belongings, left everything they knew, and they followed God. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a a great nation. Now, real quickly, here's what I want you to understand, is that God chooses 
in his sovereign providential wisdom, he elects one nation out of all the hundreds of nations there were. And he goes, I'm going to use this nation to show the entire world about the goodness and sovereignty of the great God, and which is called Yahweh, the very one who created and, and knitted even the, the, everything in the world. He's the one who created and established the framework that you and I now see and know. And he goes, and I want this nation, Israel, to be blessed. And so he said, Abraham, here's, here's how it is. It's going to be simple. He goes, if you'll follow me, you'll listen to me, and you'll obey. Then he goes, I'm going to give you land. And that land's going to flow with milk and honey, and you will never, ever, ever have want for anything. It'll be a lot like the Garden of Eden. It's going to be a sweet thing as long as you obey me. But if you don't, then I'm going to turn off the water spigot. Your crops are going to dry up. And you're going to have to go somewhere else to get food because I will not bless that. But if you obey me, you'll always have provision. He goes, hey, I'm going to also give you land. That land is, is going to be a land that's not only fertile and, and fortified, but it's, a, it's in a particular place. And that land is, is, is going to give you protection on its borders. It's going to help you succeed in many ways. You just need to obey me. So you've got blessing and you've got land. And then also he goes, I'm going to give you people, descendants. And they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That means that I'm going to bless you in such a way that you'll never lack for anything. And he goes, do you understand this, Abraham? Abraham goes, I get it. I get it. Okay, I got it. And then guess what? This guy named Moses comes along after the flood has happened. You've got Abraham who's called, this nation established. Eventually you've got a guy named Moses. Why? Because the people of Israel are in Egypt. God goes, I'm going to call you out of Egypt. He does that. He goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, hey. He said, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, do what? He's like, I said, let my people go. Okay, great. I'm, whatever. I'll let, my, I'll let your people go. After many, many different meetings and God's consequences, eventually Pharaoh uh, gets the point, decides I better let the people of God go. He does. God brings them into a place after some rebellion and some very difficult wilderness sojourns. They eventually inhabit the promised land. The greatest day in Israel's history was when finally they moved from a tabernacle to a temple. It didn't happen in King David's reign, although that was a really incredible time, but it happens in Solomon's reign, his son. And that period of time, about a thousand years before Christ, was the best time in the life of the nation of Israel. It was flourishing. It was incredible. The people of God were celebrated. They had righteous rulers. There was uh, good things happening in the land. There were people uh, that were being blessed, and it was a sweet time in the nation of Israel. And then guess what? Solomon dies. His two sons fight over the kingdom. They divide it all. They squander all of God's plans. And guess what? It is out with it all. Do you know what? In those sweet times, we actually have this story from 1 Kings chapter 10 of what it looked like. Matter of fact, there was a, a queen. She was from Sheba. And the queen of Sheba actually went to Solomon and she said, Solomon, if you don't mind, I would love to, to seek after your wisdom. I have heard from across the globe, all across the world, that you are the wisest man there ever has been and that your God, the God of heaven and earth, is the one who imparts his wisdom to you. And I would like to sit at your feet and learn from you. And the scriptures tell us in 1 Kings chapter 10 that she spoke until she no longer had breath. And everything she said, Solomon had wisdom for her questioning. Even to the point that at some point she realized that this man is not only blessed by God, but this nation is blessed. And she began to look around and she realized that, that everything was different here. Like this, this people are different. 
the way that they hold themselves, the way that they answer, the way that they see joy amongst themselves is different. And so the queen of Sheba began to take note of that. And she even said this. She said, all of your splendor is more majestic than I can take in. They had told me about all of this, but I doubted it. But they didn't even tell me the half of it. It is far better than what they ever shared with me. And then this is what she said. The people are happy. Your servants are happy. Your soldiers are happy. Everybody's walking around with joy. And you sit on the throne and you reign with justice and righteousness. And it's a sweet thing. And before she left, she decided she'd take out some gold and and precious stones and lots of other commodities and say, you know what, I just think it'd be wise for me to give all this to you because I see what a blessing your kingdom is to the world. The question is this, how does a kingdom that was so sweet in its heyday become so despairingly disgusting in just a couple hundred years? How does a nation leave its roots, the law of God that he had given them, the, the teachings of God, how do they leave that? The, so it's such the foundational framework that they decide to do their own things. Can a country do that? That nation did. And what's crazy is, is that God would actually remove his presence from that nation, Israel. And you know what's incredible? You know what he did? For a season, here's what he decided to do. That while, while the nation Israel was doing their own thing, that he decided, I'm going to send an appropriate sacrifice. That sacrifice is going to be named Jesus. And anybody who trusts in him can have eternal life. And when his spirit dwells in you, he goes, I'm going to make the mystery known. You know what the mystery is? The mystery is that God's grace would go to the nations. And you know what God's doing in this time right now? Listen, you need to lean in with me. He is using the nations, Gentiles like you and me, Samaritan half-breeds, if you want to call us that, it's fine, to make his, his lover, Israel, jealous in this day and time. He wants to use the church the bride of Christ, to bring his people Israel back. And the question that I have to ask yourself is, if you are the church and God's spirit dwells in you, are you following him closely? Do people see a difference in you? What is the difference they see? Are you sowing righteousness? Are you reaping the steadfast, faithful love of God? Are you a part of a church, not because you're bringing some meaningless thing into your schedule, but because you know that there's something special about the people of God? Are you a part of a church because you see a movement of lives being changed? You see people brought out of blindness and despair into light and hope? Are you, are you sowing into the church because of that reason? Or are you doing it because that's what your, your, your dad who was a deacon told you you should do? What is it that you're asking and inquiring of the Lord of heaven and earth? Is it a relational, communal aspect or is it something else? And I would say this, if it's a relational thing, then here's what I would suggest. I would say one is that you and I ought to abide in the word daily. We need him now. Listen, the only reason I haven't quit in the last four months is because of the word of God. It's not because there hadn't been times I wanted to. It wasn't because I hadn't been frustrated with all the different things that are transpiring. Listen, it's the word of God. It's the only thing that keeps me sane in a time where it seems that the world's losing its insanity. 
listen, we must stay planted here. Listen, the question is too, why do we gather? Are we gathering for the wrong reasons? And, and friends, I, my goal is just to encourage you. But listen, if we're going to gather together and we're going to study the precious word of God, we ought to bring our Bibles and a pen. If I'm honest, I don't think cell phones suffice as we move forward. Bring your Bible, write down, soak in the word of God. Allow the scripture to be something you meditate, that you write on the tablet of your heart, that you instruct your children, that you talk about it when you sit, when you rise, when you come and you go, when you lay them down at night, that you pray with them, help remind them of God's truth. Friends, how do we remind God's, uh, people of God's truth when God's truth isn't saturated in our hearts? Listen, if we're going to sow something, then let's sow God's word and let's scatter it wherever we go and let's be the people that he's called us to be. Sounds like a plan to me. Sounds like something I've signed up for. I think that's what we continue to do. That is our plan moving forward. We gather when we can, as often as we can. We shut down if we have to. And listen, the church never shuts down. So it means that we might like postpone a gathering or two, but the goal is to be the people of God. And you know what's awesome about scattering seed? If you can find fertile ground, you can have a harvest. So you can scatter wherever you are in the county wherever you are in the state, wherever it is that the Lord takes you. May we go and be his people. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would remind us of your faithfulness. Lord, help us, God, to be about your wisdom. Help us, Lord, to delight in the law of the Lord, that we would write your precepts on the tablet of our heart, that, Lord, that we would execute justice and righteousness in our lives because you are the God of justice and righteousness. I pray, Lord, that we would realize that the most precious thing that you have given us is your spirit, that you have delighted to us to make your mystery made known, that the very things that we read about in the word of God are the actual words of our God. Like we can know you, we can dine with you, we can commune with you, and we can commune with others. And Lord, we have every tool, every resource available to us at our fingertips. As Peter says, that everything that pertains to life and godliness is here right for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would use that accommodation to grow us in righteousness so that we reap the steadfast love, the faithful love of God. Father, we need you. Oh, God, we need you. If ever a time in our world, in our day, that we need you, it's now. And so, Father, I pray that our lives would be dependent upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.